Well, welcome. Good to see you this weekend. Glad you're here. Glad you made the choice uh, to be with us in worship uh, at Seacoast. I want to welcome those of you who are in the uh, off-site campuses or on the internet or wherever you happen to be. Uh, maybe at one of the venues here at Long Point. We're glad that you're along also. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever uh, had a time in your life when suddenly you realized that you have more peace than you should have? You, you should be, you should be uh, uh, stressed, you should be concerned, you should be upset because of stuff that's going on, but there's just, inside, there's just a sense of peace. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? I uh, was walking uh, not too long ago on a back street in, actually it was Washington, D.C., and there was a guy who was talking to his friend, and I was close enough that I could overhear him. And he was quite upset. He told his friend, he said, that during the downturn uh, in that particular week, he had lost 12% of his net worth. And he was distraught. He was just depressed. He was talking about how it would impact his girlfriend and, uh, you know, some of the investments that he had made. And I knew I shouldn't be listening, but I wanted to go up to him and talk to him about Hey, it's not the end of the world. And, you know, if you learn to trust God with your money, some good stuff can happen. And, have, you know, that would have creaked about anybody out. I mean, th that is the elephant in the room, talking about money. I probably could have asked him about his sex life, and he'd have been more willing to talk to a stranger about that. But money? No, I don't think so. And so, and so they, you know, they kind of went into a restaurant or something, and, and, and I walked on, and I thought about it for a couple of blocks, and several times since. See, the truth is, he and I uh, were floating our boats on the same financial seas. Now, he probably had a little bigger boat. In fact, probably a lot bigger boat. But our attitudes toward money were miles apart. And suddenly I realized that the impact that obedience to God in this area had had in my life, it was a sense of peace when it really shouldn't be. On the outside, it should be stress and chaos, but there was peace. Well, we're in a series right now, and we're talking about generosity. We're talking about money. That's the elephant in the room. That's the thing that we, you know, we don't want to talk about. And it's, it's hard. And when we come to church, we see on the outline sheet that there are some money scriptures. We put our guard up. Well, I want you to just kind of relax today because I want to talk to you about the benefits of generosity. I'm really excited about this. Here, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to give you a list. You know, I always do, you know, three points because God speaks in threes. Well, this week it's not that way. We're going to have seven, the perfect number, God's number, seven, right? I'm just going to make a list of seven benefits uh, to generosity, and I want to weave into it a couple of stories. I recently uh, was in Haiti, and I want to tell you some really exciting things that are going on as it relates to generosity. So uh, let, let, let's talk. We're just going to kind of talk here a little bit this weekend. Did you know that generosity is the most talked about value in the Bible? Did you know that? On your outline sheet, I, I listed that faith is spoken of 246 times. Hope is mentioned 185 times. Love is mentioned 733 times. But giving or generosity is mentioned 2,285 times. So the question is, why so much emphasis on giving. I think one of the reasons is that giving is the expression 
of the other three values. Would you agree with that? Faith, hope, and love are expressed through giving. In fact, one-sixth of the book of Mark, Luke, and John are about generosity. Jesus told parables, stories, right? Well, 12 of the 38 parables that Jesus talked about, the subject was money. Billy Graham once said that if a person gets his attitude about money straight, it will help straighten out almost every other area of his life. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul is writing uh, to the Corinthian church. In his first letter to the church, there's a lot of problems, and they kind of grow in the Lord, and they kind of get them straightened out. And by this point in 2 Corinthians, they're a pretty mature church. And Paul writes them a letter about their generosity and about their giving. And here's what he says. He says, since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, in your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love for us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. You know, when I read that, I thought, I could have written that. I mean, it could have been written about Seacoast, and if I was writing it about Seacoast, I'd say the same thing. I say, you guys are knocking it out of the park. There's so many areas that you're doing great in, and you're doing good in this area of generosity. I just want to cheer you on to do better. This is a, this, I don't have to convince Seacoast to be a generous church. You guys are. But today, what I want to do is I kind of want to review seven benefits of generosity in your life. Uh, Because giving is kind of the spiritual aerobics, you know. It's good for your heart. And so I want, to, I want to do some exercises here today and help you to do some exercises that are going to be uh, good, for your, good for your spiritual life. So here we go. How does generosity benefit my life? Seven, seven things, seven ways. First one is this. Generosity makes me more like God. Can you say that together? Generosity makes me more like God. John 3.16, while we're talking out loud, uh, why don't we uh, read this one together? It's, it's the most quoted verse uh, in the Bible. Well, it used to be. Uh, the most quoted one now is don't judge, <laughs> right? We, we, we don't, we don't want to judge. We don't people judging our stuff. But it used to, when I was a kid growing up, this one was the most quoted verse. Let's read it out loud, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God so loved that he gave. I'll never forget uh, Christmas Eve service 2009. Uh, Just before that time, we had kind of revamped how we approach global missions at Seacoast. See, uh, when I was growing up and early in our years here, uh, we approached missions like this. We would find a missionary uh, in a country and then we would give them money in order to to do mission for us. And we still do a little bit of that. But we decided we want to be more hands-on. We don't want to just pay somebody else to do what God's kind of commanded us to do. Let's, let's see if we can really get involved, and, and let's see if we can build it about around transforming communities. And so we sat down, we got our heads together, and we said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to narrow the focus. We're not going to just, you know, shotgun all over the world, just a little bit here and a little bit there, what if we went into some cities and what if we partnered with some local churches in villages and towns, cities, communities, and what if we helped them to literally transform the community? And that would have to start with some physical things, with things like clean water, 
Do you know that clean water is, um, is uh, probably the biggest killer of people on the, on the planet, on the, on the globe? Uh, if you can't drink clean water and can't get access to clean water, a lot of things really don't matter. And so we said, let's start there. And then let's uh, also uh, help with medical things. We, we happen to be in a medical community here and just have a lot of medical people who love to volunteer. What if we were able to volunteer and do medicine in various communities where it's needed? And then we need education. If people are going to lift themselves up, they need to be educated. And so we're going to attack that issue. And then we need to attack economics. It's not enough just to give, 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 be generous, and you guys are, but to give to situations because if we give and they're dependent on us, they'll continue, you know, to have issues. So we said, what if we were to kind of help figure out how people could be empowered economically to make money in order to feed themselves? You know, it's the old thing. Um, If you've got a hungry guy, you can give him a fish and what? He'll be hungry tomorrow. Or you can teach him to fish and what happens? Uh, he, he won't be hungry for a lifetime. Now, that's not true in South Carolina because if you teach him to fish here, he'll buy a boat, get a case of beer, and sit out all Saturday afternoon with a friend, okay? But in most places of the world, that actually works. <laughs> so if you're saying, I cannot believe our pastor said that, well, you, he did, he did. So, and then there's the spiritual component, which is kind of tying it to the local church. So five things, clean water, medicine, education, economics, and, and spiritual benefit. And so we had just kind of, you know, come into that just before 2009. So we challenged you guys on Christmas Eve 2009, what if we attack clean water first? And so we gave uh, bottles with a label called Hope Epidemic. How many of you got one of these? Do you remember this? And it had what looked like dirty water in it. It was actually tea. Uh, but we encouraged you uh, in the weeks before uh, Christmas to maybe take that home with your family and either pour it out or drink it. And as you do, realize that most people, there, there are millions of people around the world who drink dirty water every day while we drink clean water. And then we challenge you over the next few weeks, just money that you would spend normally on coffee or you know, whatever you drink, that you would put coins in here and then bring it in on Christmas Eve 2009. And boy, did you guys respond. It was so, I'll never forget it. It was so much fun watching this whole front area fill up with these bottles. In fact, how much did you give? Well, just a few weeks later, our missions department made up this check. This is dated January 24th, 2010. Paid to the order of Hope Epidemic, $287,374. Wow, give yourself a hand. That, that's a, that was pretty incredible. In fact... In fact, there was money that came in after that. It was well over 300, nearly $350,000. Now, we thought that was a great idea, and almost everybody on our staff did. The only people that didn't were those that had to count <laughs> the change. Now, can you imagine $300,000 worth of change in one of these? So every time I come up with an idea, they say it doesn't involve change, does it? <laughs> Little did we know that just a few days later, on January the 12th, 2010, an earthquake would hit Haiti. And in 13 seconds, over 220,000 people would die. 250,000 people would lose their homes. Three million people would be impacted. And so um, what we did is we sent Jason Surratt, our global pastor, to Haiti uh, just 10 days after the earthquake. And we said, Go figure out where we ought to invest our time, energy, effort, and money. 
And if you can, find the least of the least. There's going to be a lot of money coming into Haiti. We, we want to help those that are the least of the least. So Jason went down, and he and some other pastors, and they, they went into uh, one of the most dangerous slums that now had become a tent city in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. And they found a deaf community. They found deaf people that were being abused, that were being robbed, that were being beaten, that nobody cared about. They were the least of the least, the forgotten. He came back and he said, Dad, I think, I think we ought to do something there in that area. And so we partnered uh, with Water Missions International, who makes water systems here uh, in Charleston, South Carolina. We partnered with a nonprofit uh, group that was already in Haiti called 410 Bridge, who had similar values as we did, to not just, you know, hand out money, but to give a hand up and to help communities and transform communities. And we partnered with some other churches, and uh, we, over time, relocated about 600 families, uh, 45 minutes away from this slum in Port-au-Prince uh, to their own community. Now, two weeks ago, about a week and a half ago, I went to visit that community uh, with a team of people from here and also from the College of Charleston, uh, some of their basketball players and their coach and some of the sports information people. And um, we, uh, we had fun. We played a little soccer, you know. Uh, have you know, they play it a little bit better than we do. That little kid has skills. Can I, can I tell you that? And we played some hoops. Can I tell you one story about the hoops? We thought it was going to be, we're going to go to a high school. We're just going to do a few drills, you know, and kind of, you know, play ball with the kids. Well, when we arrived, First, they weren't kids we were playing with. Uh, they were all in their 20s. They were all very athletic. And they lined everybody out on the half-court line. And out comes this little marching band playing the Haitian National Anthem. <laughs> now, at that point, we knew it wasn't just a pickup game. This is for national pride. <laughs> and so I'm on the sideline chanting, USA! <laughs> I wasn't that obnoxious. I was chanting C of C, College of Charleston. And boy, it got rough, but we won. Okay. So, and, uh, and, and then we also uh, visited the community where the deaf community had been relocated and saw some of the houses that had been built. They had gone from the slums of Port-au-Prince to where now they had their own houses. And uh, we, we painted some of them, did, did a little work on uh, some of them. We also... Um, uh, went and uh, we, we saw uh, a water system that you guys had paid for. In fact, in this picture, if you look far to the left, there's a, there's a water tower over there that provides clean water every day to this community. You guys paid for that through your home, uh, hope epidemic uh, money. And uh, why don't we give the Lord a hand? Can we do that? They had a church, beautiful church, that was um, donated by a church here in the United States. And then I wondered, how are we doing on education? And so one of the things that I did is I spent some of my time uh, teaching and training three young deaf pastors. It was one of the most moving, one of the most challenging, uh, uh, and one of the most fulfilling things that I have ever done in my life. These were three young men who weren't even believers three years ago. Imagine that who uh, had to be trained uh, to read and trained uh, to understand principles in God's word and who are now communicating it uh, to others uh, in, the, in the community. Uh, in fact, uh, one of the deaf pastors was, uh, it just happened to come in when he was teaching some adults to read. Uh, and I uh, took my video camera and I captured 
just a minute of it. So take a look at this. So the adults are all hearing impaired. They're all deaf. Their children are hearing. So you can imagine, you know, the, the uh, challenges that were there. Now, one more thing I want to say about that before we move. And, and how does this fit into this first point about generosity? Let's put back up the picture of the pastor and what he was training them to read from. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God loved, and so he gave. You guys love, and so you give. I can remember when I first fell in love with Debbie, I couldn't keep money in my pocket. You know, you can give without loving. Some of you do that at Christmas time with some relatives you don't necessarily love, but you can't love without giving. And generosity makes me more like God. If you're going to become like God, you've got to give. First uh, Chronicles 29 and verse 14, David said this. This was during a building program. And they're, they're trying to, to, to build a, a building for the Lord. And David said, but who am I? And, and, and they had an overwhelming response. People were generous. He says, and who am I and who are my people that we could give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you. And we give you only what you first gave us. You know, when we think that we're being generous, it's all God's, isn't it? I, I remember as a kid, uh, my parents used to take us Christmas shopping for each other. And we'd go to Target. I remember going to Target. And they'd give us each $10. If you can imagine, you could shop for five people for $10. They'd give us $10 of their money. And we'd go and we'd shop. And dad would always have to explain, you don't buy gifts for yourself. I'll do that. This is for one another. And we were buying gifts. We were being generous with dad's money. And that's what we do. It's, it's house money. Anything that I have has been given by God. And when I'm generous, I become most like God. That's the first one. Now I'll take a lot less time on the next six. Everybody okay with that? Here's the second one. Generosity draws me closer to God. That's a benefit of generosity. It draws me closer to God. Matthew 6 and verse 21. Can we read this one out loud together? Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. You know, I've had people ask me, how do I get a heart for God? You know, I really want a passion for God. I feel like I'm distant from God. How do I get, how do I get passionate about God? How do I have more of a heart for God? Well, it says that hearts follow treasures. How do you get a passion for Haiti? Hearts follow treasures. Where is your money? See, if, it, and I would ask you, where's your heart today? If your treasure is in a boat, okay, that's where your heart is. If your treasure is in your house, that's where a heart is. If your treasure is in your career, that's where your heart will be because hearts follow treasures. Wherever I put my money, reveals where my heart is. 
And whenever I give to God, it's an act of worship. It draws me closer to God. My heart goes where my money goes. You develop a passion for something when you start investing in it. And God is pleased with me when he sees that. When I give, he says, you know, that's my boy. He's like me. He's close to me. So generosity draws me closer to God, makes me more like God. Let me give you the third one. Generosity breaks the grip of selfishness in my life. Anybody have an issue with selfishness? Or is that just your kids? Okay. Yeah. Would you agree that we live in a materialistic world? You are bombarded with messages every day. You know, have it all, keep it all, do it all. Billions of dollars in advertising are geared to make me want more, to make me want the next Apple product, you know? Mine still works. But I'm going to get billions of dollars in various forms that say, you need this. You've got to have this. We are bombarded with materialism. And here's the truth. The more you have to live for, the less you need to live on. Did you get that? The more you have to live for, the less that you need to live on. See, those who have acquisition as their goal, they never have enough. There's only one antidote to materialism, and that's generosity. It's the exact opposite of materialism. Materialism is I've got to get, and generosity says, no, I'm going to give. And so every time you give, every time you give to this church, you give to God through this church, or you give to a project that's you know, going on to, to help people in the world, every time you do that, then you make a counter-cultural Statement. You say, I refuse to buy into the concept that life is measured by how much you get. You win a spiritual victory every time that you give. That's why, that's why when we do a series like this, that's why people get mad when we talk about giving. Oh, I can't believe they're talking about giving. All the church talks about is money, money. Trust me, that's not all we talk about here. We need to talk about it more. But it hits at a, at a, at a chord, at, 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 at the very core of our spiritual nature, at the selfishness that easily uh, grabs each one of us. And so I have to decide, am I going to be a giver or am I going to be a taker? Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6, 24. He says, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. And then he says, in case you didn't understand what I'm saying, he says, you cannot serve both God and money. I've got to choose what's going to be number one in my life. We know that Jesus talked about money more than he talked about heaven and the kingdom of heaven, more than he talked about hell. Because, why? Because it's the center issue of our lives. It's the core issue of selfishness that will impact all other areas of my life. And so every time I give, my heart grows. I become more like God. I become closer to God. I break the grip of selfishness in my life. In uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, it's a great scripture for Seacoast. Here's what it says. It says, Greg, here's what you've got to do. You got to command those who are rich in this present world. How many of us are rich? I was just in Haiti. Can I tell you? We're all rich. In comparison, we're all rich. And so this scripture's for us. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything 
for our enjoyment. Then he says, command them, seacoast, to do good, to be rich in good deeds, that every day would be like hope epidemic, that every day would be like 100,000 gifts where we were waking up every morning going, how in the world can I bless somebody? How in the world can I, can I give rather than receive? He says, church, seacoast, you guys are rich. And so, and so be rich in good deeds and be generous and willing to share. In this way, he says, you will lay up treasures for yourself as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take a hold of the life that they truly give. Now, notice in the middle of the verse, he says, uh, Put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. It's not saying you ought to feel guilty because you live in America. You ought to feel guilty because you have a boat. You ought to feel guilty because of the blessings of God in your life. That's not it at all. That didn't help anybody. He says, understand that it's all God's and that God gives it to you. Recognize that. Enjoy it. But also, be generous. Share. Because when you do, the world takes notice. When you give, listen, your kids ought to see it. If, if you're going to give to the church, it oughtn't to be something that, you know, you do out of their uh, eyesight. Maybe during response time, if your kids are with you, you ought to go to the offering box together. Or if you do it, if you give uh, online, you know, sometimes you ought to sit down with your kids and go, let me show you what I'm doing here. I'm giving because it's, it, uh, it makes me more like God. And there's a selfishness issue that I have to battle with, not just you, I have to battle with. And this knocks it in the head, okay? All right, here's number four. Generosity strengthens my faith. Generosity strengthens my faith. Sooner or later, you gotta decide if God can be trusted with your finances. Can he be counted on to keep his promises or not? Every time I give, it becomes a statement of faith. Do I really believe God will supply all of your needs? Do I really believe? Give, and it will be given to you, pressed down and taken together and running over. Do I believe that stuff? Well, when I give, it's a, it's a statement of my faith. In fact, 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 13 says this, your giving proves the reality of your faith. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 7 says you must decide, Paul's writing to a church like Seacoast, you must decide in your heart how much you're going to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Have you ever been in a situation like that? You know, we're going to close the doors until we get enough money. We're going to pass the offering plates again and again and again until we get enough. Or, or there's this guilt thing. You know, you really should. You don't have, those people in Haiti, they have so much less than, and you have so much, so much. That's not what this message is about. Because that kind of giving will never sustain We'll never, you'll do it, you'll do it grudgingly, and you'll feel bad about it, and it won't sustain a lifestyle of giving. And that's why he says, don't do it grudgingly, okay? Uh, or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Now, he accepts from a grouch, but he loves, he loves people who give cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. What a, what, what a promise, and then you will always have everything that you need and plenty left over to share with others. Why wouldn't he supply? If, if God can look at you and he can go, you know what, if I bless her, she's going to share it and she's gonna be a blessing in her community and in her family and around the world in this church. 
Well, why wouldn't I keep her supplied? And Paul said, that's what God does. So whenever you give sacrificially, get excited because God is, God's going to act. There will be specific times in your Christian life when God will ask you to give out of the ordinary. There will be, we all ought to give regularly. We all ought to give consistently. But there will be times when you'll hear something, when there will be a need, and God will speak to your heart and say, you know what, I know it's not in the budget, but you need to give it. And when that happens, hang on for the adventure of a lifetime. There have been a couple of times in our marriage when God has said, give it all. Well, how much? Every, empty the bank account. All of it. All of it. And in both situations, a year later, God had provided it back. And I think it was a test for us, a, a tremendous test. But, uh, hey, we passed, and it was good, and it's an adventure. Uh, periodically, God moves on me to make a commitment that there's no way I can do it myself. Um, I can remember in some building programs, to build this building right here, that um, I was praying about what I ought to give, and it was one of those, really? <laughs> this, what, what did we eat last night? Bad burritos? What, 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 what was that? I went to Debbie and talked about it, and you know what we did? It wasn't grudgingly, but we said, this is going to be fun, because there is no way that um, we can do what God has called us to do, and God has been faithful. In fact, recently, I'll, I'll tell you how my attitude has changed about this whole giving thing. I used to, when I'd go to a fundraiser, and this isn't a fundraiser, by the way. In fact, we're not asking for anything. This is not from you. This is for you. This is so that you can be generous. Um, I'd go to a fundraiser, and I, you know, I'd, you know, you know, I'm, I'm going to be real careful here, and I don't want to be here, and you know, what are they going to ask me for, and you know, is it going to be one of these high pressure things? And I went to two things recently. I went to one, and, and it was a fundraiser, and, and my heart was really moved by what uh, they were talking about, and I wanted to give a significant gift, and they didn't have a way for me to do it. I was mad. Now, before that, I'd have been great, good, awesome, got away with that one, you know. Uh, it, it, that happened to me twice, twice. And I said, you know, God, is this, this isn't right. That's a paradigm shift for me. So give God a chance to do a miracle in your life. Don't be afraid to go out on a limb. That's where the fruit is. How many of you know that? Some people don't trust God and they miss an opportunity for a blessing. Giving stretches my faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Generosity, number five, generosity is an investment for eternity. It's an investment for eternity. How do you know that you can't take it with you? Did you know that burial suits, you know, the suits that you, if you don't bring your own clothes and they bury you in a suit, you know, they don't have pockets. Did you know that? Well, why would you? <laughs> You've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse, have you? you know, yeah, he's taking all his stuff. She's taking all it. No, 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 you can't take it with you. So you need to learn to invest it. You can send it on ahead by investing in people who are going to go there. Jesus said, store up your treasures in heaven. Here's my question. How do you do that? 1 Timothy 6.18, we read it earlier in another version. Let me, let me read it in the Living Bible. It says this, use your money to do good, always being ready to share with others whatever God has given you. By doing this, you will be storing up real treasure for yourselves in heaven. It is the only safe investment for eternity. I underline that. It's the only, it's the only one. This one's safe, okay? This one's safe for eternity. And you will be living a fruitful Christian life down here as well. There's no greater investment than the kingdom of God. Let me tell you another story. So while uh, every, uh, most of our team uh, was continuing to paint houses and stuff, um, I uh, went to visit another village called Shadrach. 
And this village is, uh, Haiti basically is, is an island, it's beautiful, um, that uh, has some flat areas around the ocean side, and then it ri rises up very, very steeply. I, somebody, I asked him how high, and somebody said 4,000 feet. Don't quote me on that. I didn't go to Wikipedia to find out. Very high. And this, this village was way up at the top of the mountains. You drove on a little two-lane, or uh, not two-lane, two-track. You know, you, know, you know what I'm talking about. You know, grass in the middle and just a little two-track, just uh, in a Land Rover all the way up. And then you got to a certain place, and then you had to walk on up. And there were about 4,000 people in the community. You couldn't see them. Their, their little houses were, you know, up in uh, jungle areas and trees. Uh, beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And so we sat down and we met with community leaders. And uh, that was an incredible time. They talked to us about their testimonies and about how God had blessed them. They had nothing. They had nothing. And so uh, at one point, um, I asked them what, what had been their, their biggest issue and their biggest problem. And their biggest problem had been water, clean water. Again, that's, that's number one. And so um, a, uh, a man there in their community uh, had donated land for a water system and water missions and several churches got together. We helped a little bit with this one. We've done other ones uh, entirely. We helped a little bit here. And uh, they put in a, a water system so that they could have clean water. Now, the guy that um, donated the land, an incredible guy, he's in his 80s, and I spoke through an interpreter. And I kind of struck up a relationship with him, you know, two old guys just sitting down talking together. And I asked him, I said, so how has this water system, how has this made a difference in your community? And he teared up a little bit. And he said, uh, we don't have cholera anymore. He said, when our babies are born, we don't have to go, you know, miles down the mountain to where clean water is. He said, our children are living. Our children are living. I got to tell you, when he told me that, I was a mess. I thought, God, my little investment meant nothing to me. A few less Starbucks. My little investment in clean water um, was an investment in eternity. I think someday God will open up the doors where we can see, hey, you were generous here. This is what, this, this is some people that would have died that lived a fulfilled life and serve the purposes of God in their generation. See, uh, baby boomers, I read an article the other day that we aren't saving enough for retirement. But you know what? That's not as important as this question. Are you saving any for eternity? Because we're gonna spend a lot more time there than we do here. Number six, and let me give you six and seven together real quick. Generosity blesses me in return. It's an investment for eternity, but I get blessed. Proverbs 22 and verse 9 says, generous people will be blessed. How? I don't know. God can do all kinds of things. You know, he can increase your income. He can decrease your expenses. He can make old cars, you know, run longer. He can give you new opportunities. He can extend the life of your washer or your dryer. I mean, he's not limited in what he can do. And so Deuteronomy 15 and verse 10 says, give generously to him and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all of your work and in everything that you put your hand to. Blank, check, promise. It's incredible. You bless God. You give. You be generous. You get close to God. You get his heart. You give to the things that move his heart. And he said, I'll keep you supplied. I'll keep you supplied. 
You know, I used to get upset at Christians who didn't tithe, you know, or wouldn't give or were stingy or whatever. And I, I, I don't really honestly anymore. I feel sorry for them because they don't, they don't have a God that they can trust. You know, some, some people will trust God for their eternal destiny, but not for their finances. Finances are minor by comparison. It's just a matter of trust. Let me give you the seventh one. Generosity makes me happy. <laughs> Generosity makes me happy. Jesus said himself in Acts 20 and verse 35, there is more happiness in giving than in receiving. Who are the happiest people in the world? They're givers. You know anybody like that? I mean, they just give and give. Have you, <laughs> you ever seen a giver be a grump? Not very often. Maybe they're in transition. Giving transforms you from the inside out. This is a happy church. I love this church. Why is it happy? Because it's a church full of givers, by and large. You guys are generous. You know, um, people in this age group don't usually give, but you guys do. This is an oasis in the midst of a storm. So somebody said there are three kinds of givers. There's the flint, the sponge, and the honeycomb. To get anything out of a splint, you've got to hammer it. And then you only get chips and sparks. To get water out of a sponge, you've got to squeeze it. And the more you use pressure, the, the more you'll get. But the honeycomb just overflows with its own sweetness. So which kind of giver are you? Which kind are you? So, some of us are saying, you know, I'd like to become a generous giver, but I'm kind of afraid. Maybe you say, I, you know, I, I would be, I, I must not love God enough. Well, that's not true. You just don't know how much he loves you. God loved the world, you, so much that he gave. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 8, it says, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes, he became poor so that his poverty, in his poverty, um, you could become rich. God loves you. I'm not saying everybody's gonna... You know, make a million dollars or, you know, drive the greatest car, whatever. He'll make you rich in ways that you can then be a blessing to his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for this wonderful church that is full of generous givers. I thank you for a church that, that has people that come to me regularly and say, Greg, you got to tell them about the blessings of being generous. Greg, we got to stretch our faith more. I'm grateful to be a pastor of a place like this. At the same time, I know that there are many of us that struggle in this area. And I pray that this weekend, your kingdom would come and your will would be done in a powerful, powerful way in this area of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.